Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This is the Juice on the Cues podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Good morning, Syracuse. Welcome back to the Juice on the Cues podcast presented by Rivals.com. I'm your host, Wes Chang. Thanks so much for joining us on this Wednesday, November 1st, 2023. We will get to Dino Bapers in the ever hotter seat that he's sitting on later in the podcast, but we begin today's show on the ACC announcing its football schedule through 2030. And finally, Finally, we have a schedule that appears to finally favor Syracuse in the 2024 season. The Orange completely avoid Florida State and Clemson next year and will instead host Georgia Tech, Miami, Stanford, and Virginia Tech at home and go away for ACC games against Boston College, NC State, California, which obviously still seems really crazy to me, and Pittsburgh. And their non-conference schedule has games against Ohio, Army, Holy Cross, and UConn. You have to think that Syracuse will be favored in at least six of those games with all their non-conference games, plus the two home games against Georgia Tech and Stanford. So no matter who is coaching the Orange next year, that is a schedule built for success. We'll take a quick break. Brendan Carney will join us about Syracuse's recent four-game losing streak and the viability of Dino Bapers as head coach. And then we'll welcome on the Juice Online's Jim Stick Schulte to preview the 2023-24 Syracuse basketball season. And I'm Wes Chang. This is the Juice of the Juice Podcast. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. So it was a brutal eighth game for the Orange against Virginia Tech. The Hokies dominated from the kickoff and sent the Orange to their fourth straight loss, 38-10. to Nothing was working on offense. The defense eventually gave out after doing its best in the first half. And if you follow the Syracuse social media world, you know there are plenty of fans and former players who are extremely upset about the recent string of losses. 
One of them was Eric Dungy, who said to ESPN Radio Syracuse's Brian Higgins, quote, The preparation seems like it's not there. Not only the preparation, but the heart. When you don't have either of them, you get what we got in the past four weeks, which is sort of embarrassing. End quote. Wow, that is a scathing quote from a former player who led Syracuse to its 10-win season with Dino Bapers in 2018. And we welcome on another former player to give his thoughts on the current state of Syracuse football, our great friend and former All-Big East and NFL punter, Brendan Carney. Brendan, always appreciate the time. How are you today? Hey, Wes. Yeah, it's going well, thanks. I uh, appreciate you bringing me back on. Always love catching up with you and, uh, and Syracuse football. So excited to, uh, to talk to you today. Of course, Brendan. We'll get you started on this one. I wanted to get your thoughts on the four-game losing streak that Syracuse is on right now. They hung in there with Clemson for the first game, but they've been no-shows the last three games. What do you think of this recent string of losses? Yeah, it's, it's kind of been a, a rough few weeks, to say the least. Um, but in fairness, you know, I, I don't think anyone thought that we would beat Clemson, you know, UNC, or FSU. Um, you know, you could tell by watching those games that the talent level, uh, those programs are just a little bit better than ours. Um, you know, I think the issue that I have and that I think that most fans and alumni have today around the, um, you know, just the kind of the lack of, you know, competitiveness, you know, from the offense within each of those games. Um, you know, we just can't seem to kind of get it together in the run game or in the passing game. Um, you know, not to mention all of those games were on uh, national TV, you know, for everyone to see. So it makes it even, you know, more frustrating. Um, you know, when we spoke before the season about those three games, the uh, Clemson, UNC, FSU, um, it's really just about seeing them compete, right? Um, you know, show us that, you know, we can put an offensive drive together and score a few times. Um, you know, I'm okay with losing as long as, you know, we're just, we're out there, we're competing and fighting for each other. Um, you know, and that's really what this is all, all about. Um, you know, the Virginia Tech game, uh, I don't know, left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. Um, you know, you, you really want to see program making steps forward and progressing. And it kind of feels like, um, you know, and I know there's four games left, uh, but it feels a lot like the last few years where we're, we see a serious regression from the offense. You know, and the defense is getting worn out, um, you know, the byproduct of uh, essentially our offense's uh, ineffectiveness right now. Um, and, you know, we're seeing teams in the conference like Duke, Louisville, BC, even Virginia Tech, I'll give them credit. You know, all teams that I feel like we're on the same level as or we should be better than. Um, and all with, co- all with new coaches um, relatively, like in year one, two, or three, and they're showing signs of consistent progress. So, you know, um, after seven and a half years, you know, just still unsure as to why we're, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of inconsistencies in the program. Um, you know, I do think it's it's worth mentioning that uh, our defensive play, you know, while we didn't perform so well against Virginia Tech, uh, you know, they continue to fight, you know, and give our offense a, you know, a fighting chance in these games. Um, you know, so I, I think, like, at this point, we just really need to wipe the slate clean, you know, after that Virginia Tech loss and kind of look at this as, uh, you know, we're, we're zero and zero right now and we have to win this week. You know, we can't worry about two weeks or three weeks down the road. The focus has to be on beating D.C. at the day on this Friday. Brendan, you're a former Syracuse captain. You've worn the orange and blue. You've got a lot of teammates you keep in touch with. What's the feeling among the Syracuse alumni football base about the state of the program? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I, I definitely think it's, uh, you know, we're a proud group of guys. Um, you know, there's a lot of history and tradition within the program. Um, 
you know, I think as far back as the 90s where Coach Pasqualoni was having so much success in the Big East, you know, and then there was this kind of slight, you know, decline um, until he was re- removed. And uh, I struggle a bit to say that because I was a part of those teams at the end. But, um, you know, since since he was let go, it's kind of all, you know, it's been about, you know, bringing this program back to the championship level. And, uh, you know, I feel like we've all been uh, patiently waiting for almost uh, – two decades, you know, with obviously with some great moments in between that we should be proud of and celebrate. Um, but we've been, you know, kind of waiting for that consistent product on the field. Um, you know, I think a few uh, alumni have been vocal about it recently. You know, I know Dungey was recently quoted about his feelings, uh, what he's seeing, you know, and I think uh, even Keith Bullock even tweeted something out uh, about his thoughts, you know, what he's been seeing week after week or season after season. So, you know, I think these guys are speaking up. Um, you know, not because they, they dislike Dino or they they don't like the program. I think they're speaking up because they care about the program. I think they care about the players. I think they want to see us competing in these games um, and, you know, really getting this thing turned around. Uh, so while I think there's, um, you know, there's frustration, you know, there's still a lot of love, you know, from the alumni base, you know, wanting to see this program succeed. Brendan, I have a compound question for you here, so bear with me. Watching that Virginia Tech game, do you think there's a chance that the coaches have lost the locker room? And the second and third part of this question is, have you been part of a team where the coaches have lost it? And if so, is there any chance they can get it back? So that's a good question. Um, You know, at least from my standpoint, I've never been in a locker room that I felt was lost. You know, I was in an interesting uh, situation with Coach Pasqualoni um, where – I was there when he was fired. Um, you know, it was interesting because leading up to that, we had a new chancellor that year, Nancy Canner, who, you know, went public and said that he would be back for the next season. So, you know, my teammates, myself, you know, we all in the locker room felt confident that, okay, look, you know, at least he's going to be back next year. Um, and then they hired uh, Daryl Gross, who fired him right after the um, the uh, bowl game against Georgia Tech. Now, uh, we didn't do ourselves any um, – goodwill by, you know, getting blown out in that game. Um, but, um, and then I would say kind of transition into the Greg Robinson era after that. I mean, I was on the one and 10 team, which is the worst, you know, record, I believe in the history of Syracuse. And, um, I, you know, I never felt like we, you know, the, that he lost the locker room. Uh, I felt like, um, you know, we had really good leaders at the top, uh, our senior leaders, our captains, those were guys that kept us, kept our heads really, um, you know, in the practices, in the games, um, did a good job of protecting us from the outside uh, world where we're, you know, reading news clippings or, you know, getting involved with all that stuff. So I think, um, you know, I think for this team, you know, they've got four games left. I know there's probably frustration building up in that locker room, but I think it's really up to, um, you know, guys like Marlo Wax and Garrett Schrader to really keep those guys engaged because, like, you know, there's four games left. There's still four chances for these guys to turn it around and make it into a great season. So, um, you know, while we've been witnessing a little bit of a regression here the last few weeks, um, I still think we've got a shot here. Um, it's just that these things have to drastically change, you know, on a dime, unfortunately. Uh, so, yeah, I think these guys buy into Dino. Um, you know, they're, he's their coach. Um, so I, I feel like, you know, I don't think he's lost a locker room just yet. Uh, but I, I do believe that, you know, frustration is mounting and uh, they need to get this thing turned around as soon as possible. 
And Brendan, we'll get you out of here on this one. You mentioned the Eric Dungy article. We were texting about that pre-show. I mentioned it at the top of this show. There are other former players who have gotten on social media to express their frustration and call for a coaching change. As a former great player yourself, where do you stand on that line? I think it's a, I think it's a really good question. Um, certainly justified after what we saw last week at Virginia Tech. Uh, I feel like a lot of people have the mindset it's probably time to move on. Um, again, especially after last week and the product we saw on the field. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, he's, you know, he was brought in in 2016, you know, with this offensive background and he was going to bring this, you know, high powered offense to the dome. Um, and I would say outside of one or maybe two years, we really haven't seen the consistency there. Um, you know, and there's multiple ways that it can be spun and we'll hear all about that over the next couple of weeks. We can talk about, you know, what happened to them in COVID being in New York state and all the mandates around that. We can talk about losing players to the portal. Uh, we can talk about season-ending injuries. Uh, you know, but the bottom line is, you know, this is a results-based business. And, uh, you know, while we've seen flashes of great play, you know, from his teams over the last seven and a half years, um, it hasn't been consistent, and it often feels like, you know, we see the same story, you know, which is the offense the offense can't get it going, and, the, you know, the defense has to hang in for three quarters, and then they're, you know, tired out by, you know, by the fourth quarter. Um, and again, it's, it's a tough position because I, I, I believe a lot of people really like Dino. I like Dino. You know, he seems like a good guy. You know, he cares a lot about his players, cares a lot about the community. You know, again, but the program is not where everyone expected it to be. And, uh, and honestly, I can't think of one Power 5 school who's, you know, kept the coach around as long as we have with the results he's given us. Um, you know, especially when we're being told that this uh, brand is on the rise. Um, so, you know, I guess, look, this could happen two ways, really. One, you know, we could win out, you know, like I was saying earlier, we could win out and go eight and five in the regular season with the going to a ball game and a shot of going nine to nine and four. Um, you know, I think this team is capable of doing this against the remaining teams on the schedule, you know, but that means we're going to have to, um, you know, again, see a completely different team, you know, in the last four games. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure, you know, if that's, you know, if that's possible, but I'm cheering for him. Um, and then the second scenario is, look, if, if the last four games are any indication of kind of how the rest of the season is going to go, um, you know, not getting to a bowl game, you know, I think Wild Hack is on the clock and, uh, you know, he's going to have to make a, you know, a, a big decision there. Um, so really the stakes are, are high this week against BC. Um, you know, this is the, the, the must-win game of all must-win games. Um, you know, and we have to do it convincingly to get our – to get our fans re-engaged, you know, and to instill some confidence uh, back in the program. So, you know, I'm reluctant to say, you know, if, if he should go or not. I, I really don't like to, you know, to, to say if someone should be fired. But, you know, I think there's been a lot of inconsistencies in the program that, you know, we need to see addressed, you know, in these last four games, which, you know, could potentially, you know, potentially save them. Brendan, thank you so much. Awesome stuff as always. Really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Sounds good, Wes. Thanks for having me on and go on. Brendan Carney, ladies and gentlemen, and to Brendan's point, there's still a chance that Syracuse can turn it around. There are four games left in the season. Two of them are against teams that have had their own struggles in Boston College and Georgia Tech. But if Syracuse misses a bowl game, I think AD Wildhack will really be feeling the heat to make a change. We'll have to have Brendan on again soon when that decision is made one way or the other. We'll take a quick break. Jim Stick Schulte when we return, and I'm Wes Chang. This is the Juice on the Cues podcast. 
So as the Syracuse football season heads toward the end, we're also at the beginning of the Syracuse basketball season. Jim Stick-Schulte joins us to break that all down. Jim, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well, Wes. How are you? Jim, we're in the middle of our annual basketball preview that you're writing. You've gone through each player on the roster. You've assessed what they bring to the table this season. So with that in mind, who should be in the starting lineup? Well, I think I'll start with the obvious answers. Uh, the backcourt should be set in stone, frankly, with Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling. Uh, the two combined should be a very dynamic, exciting backcourt. Uh, both are very capable at driving, creating their own shot, finishing around the rim, particularly in creative fashion. Um, and they're both still developing, but pretty solid as far as it comes to uh, creating for their teammates. Um, I think one of the upsides of J.J. Starling playing all 40 minutes in the exhibition against Damon last week was that it gave him the responsibility of setting up his teammates uh, regardless of who those people were surrounding him. Uh, there were times when he was sharing the floor with uh, Quidir Copeland or even Kyle Cuff Jr., but the ball was always in Starling's hands, bringing the ball up court, uh, even for the full, full 40 minutes. So I think that was one uh, bonus to come out of Mintz not playing at that game. Uh, at center, uh, I think it's going to be Naheem McLeod. I don't think it's any surprise uh, when you have uh, someone with the size that McLeod does, 7'4", and I believe listed 265. Uh, with with reputation uh, for being a a great shot blocker, uh, in part because of size, I think it's fine to lean on him uh, in that role. Uh, And then at the forwards, I think Benny Williams should be the starter at uh, the power forward spot. Uh, He's still developing as a player, um, but I think one thing that we saw a little bit, and obviously just one game, but the Damon game, was that while he missed the three-point shots he attempted, he made three shots from mid-range or longer, uh, ranging from probably 14 to 18, 19 feet. I think as long as he's still using his athleticism, like he did in the Damon game, combined with a discretion about when to shoot, uh, you know, on the perimeter, particularly maybe uh, backing away from the three-point shots, uh, I think that could be, really be a help. Um, I think uh, his athleticism would be a nice complement to McLeod's size. Uh, McLeod's going to give a lot of people second thoughts, and perhaps uh, Benny can do some cleanup uh help side blocks like he did in the Damon game. And at the small forward, I think uh, last year's rotation should be flipped, and I really think Justin Taylor should be the starter this year of a Crispo. Uh, Taylor bulked up over the offseason, so he should be able to handle the rigors of playing small forward and man-to-man. Um, he's also, like Bell, a streaky shooter, but he did make four threes against Damon while Bell struggled from the field. Uh, we'll get into that a little more down the line, I'm sure. But I think also Taylor's a little more aggressive and willing to work on defense and hit the glass. I think these are two things that should be checks in his favor uh, and help uh, put him in the starting lineup over Bell. I'm not saying this should be a 30 minutes for Taylor, 10 minutes for Bell kind of thing. I just think for starting up the season, I think Taylor should be the starting small forward. Okay, so we've covered the starting lineup, but outside of those top five, Adrian Autry still needs to utilize his bench. So who should be in that playing rotation? Well, obviously, uh, just talking about the split between uh, Chris Bell and Justin Taylor, Bell should definitely still be in the rotation. Um, he still is a streaky three-point shooter, like I said. So it could so it could be a very valuable piece for him to come off the bench and provide uh, instant offense, or at least even just the threat of instant offense as a perimeter shooter. Uh, I still and then if he's having a good night, he can be leaned on more. Or if he picks up his play in other areas, more of the same. Uh, I think uh, Hema will be the backup center again, uh, teaming up with McLeod. Uh, I think. That split of playing time will probably be somewhere around a 25 to 15 minute split per game, uh, leading on McLeod. But I think uh, that also gives 
the ability for, you know, McLeod to get rest provided by HEMA, maybe even like a short burst, like three or four minutes at a time uh, where they get staggered, uh, where maybe McLeod plays five minutes, HEMA, then McLeod, HEMA again, and McLeod. So maybe twice and a half you get these short bursts of HEMA, keep uh, McLeod fresh, and you can enable HEMA to kind of cut loose and be aggressive on defense in the glass uh, without so much concern about foul trouble. Uh, in the backcourt, I think Kyle Cup Jr. has shown enough from we from what we've seen in him in public already this season in non in non uh, permanent record games, shall we say, that his three point shot is something that could probably be a very useful tool for this team. Uh, if he's hitting a, uh, that stroke, he should be uh, a threat off the bench as well. Um, but I think uh, Quadir Copeland is actually going to be a little bit of a, a glue guy fitting in at either guard spot or even small forward. Um, I think he's going to be quite possibly the most important bench player on the team just because uh, he can do so much, whether it's rebounding or defensive effort or handling the ball and distributing, uh, a little bit of scoring punch, a little bit of athleticism. I think what he provides uh, is very useful to this team, uh, particularly in that he can do he can contribute in so many ways, uh, as he did in the Damon exhibition game. So I think a nine-man rotation is very likely, I think, Cuff is probably on the shortest end of those four bench guys as far as minutes goes, but I think that's also a function more of the quality of players in Mince and Starling and how much those two are going to be leaned on than any shortcuffing that Cuff may, excuse me, shortcoming that Cuff may have. Jim, we know you're a stack guy. We always talk about keys to the season. Is there a stat or piece of the puzzle that will determine Syracuse success that we're not talking about right now? Well, it may come as a surprise. I actually don't have a stat for this. But I do want to talk about how we've heard the word versatility a lot so much in this uh, in the run to the season. Uh, Coach Adrian Autry has harped on it a lot. Um, they've talked because they've talked about how they can use different players. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I completely omitted someone from the rotation. Malik Brown. How could I have done that? Uh, Malik, I think, uh, will be the biggest part, will be a big part of the uh, bench as well. I think he's part of the reason why Benny will still start because uh, they're talking about using Brown's versatility and possibly having him at center as well. I don't know that it's option A, but it's certainly going to be an option. But again, that speaks to the versatility of some of the guys, whether it's Brown playing as a little bit of an undersized center or Copeland moving up and down between uh, a guard and forward spot, or even as they talked about playing Justin Taylor at the two uh, in some situations, uh, obviously with Mintz being out for the Damon game, uh, we saw both Taylor and Bell in the starting lineup. So if you were just going off of last year, it would look like a promotion for Taylor into the starting line to play the two. Um, but I think the versatility is going to go hand in hand with Coach Autry's willingness to ride hot hands in individual games. Um, you know, obviously Bell and Taylor is the most uh, frequently, is probably the most frequently uh, spoken about split of two guys who are pretty neck and neck or, you know, even Malik Brown and Benny Williams at forward. I think, you know, if Autry is willing to lean on who's playing well in individual games and ask that the other, you know, another player sacrifice a few minutes for the betterment of the team on certain nights. I think that's something that can pay off uh, over the long term for this season. The team is much more talented across the board than what we've seen in a lot of recent seasons. But I think part of converting that talent into on-court success and victories is going to be reliance on leaning on who's playing well in individual games and kind of asking some of the other guys just to take a to step back, take a back seat just for uh, a game or two here or there, or even just a few minutes in a game. I think that's going to be something that can really help pay off and possibly help switch a couple games that might be losses into might be wins. 
Jim Sixerolti, ladies and gentlemen, and Jim will have his schedule analysis 2022 season review and his overall comprehensive preview out in the next few days. And I wanted to close the show on former Syracuse quarterback Tommy DeVito. DeVito was promoted to the New York Giants 53-man roster on Tuesday after he played the final 37 minutes of a loss to the New York Jets. The Giants' third-string quarterback completed two of seven passes for minus one yard, but he scored the Giants' only touchdown in the third quarter. DeVito played at Syracuse from 2017 to 2021. I think it's great to see him get a shot in the NFL as an undrafted free agent. That's it for us. I want to thank my guest, former Syracuse great Brendan Carney, the Juice Online's Jim Stick Schulte. And this is Wes Chang reminding you that I was in a card store and they had cards that said, get well soon. Screw that. Get well now. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast presented by Rivals.com and we'll see you next time. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Ah, the sizzle of McDonald's sausage. It's enough to make you crave your favorite breakfast. Enough to head over to McDonald's. Enough to make you really wish this commercial were scratch and sniff. And if you're a sausage person, now get two satisfyingly savory sausage McGriddles, sausage biscuits, or sausage burritos for just $3.33. Or mix and match. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.